0: Welcome to the Visegrad Insight Podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe.
1: My name is Daniel Borta. I'm the director and president of the Center for Euro Athletic Integration and Democracy in Budapest, and I recommend the Visegrad Insight podcast.
0: It's Monday, 27th of February 2023. Uh, we are one week after uh, Biden's visit to Central Europe. Sitting in the office of Visegrad Insight, my name is Wojciech Przybylski, Editor-in-Chief of Visegrad Insight, and Miles Maftian, Editorial Director, is sitting next to me. We are um, commenting uh, a bit uh, of the future uh, of Central Europe, whether it was altered, changed, induced, nudged by that visit, and and looking uh, into into what's happening this week to to test the hypothesis that, that there were some, at least small breakthroughs, uh, in in the European uh, democratic security, in Central European democratic security in particular. So we invited for an interview this week Daniel Barta, a Hungarian expert focusing on security, defense, and foreign policy uh, in Central Europe, and Hungary in particular. And and we're putting Hungary at the center again of, of our discussion and our focal point, because there are indeed uh, interesting uh, developments in in the context not only of the visit of, of of Joe Biden but but before that visit and then upcoming this week. Um, so Miles, maybe maybe you can do a preview of what the conversation we're gonna hear about uh, um, we're gonna hear is about.
2: Sure. So mm, there were a couple of elements that I wanted to focus on with Daniel that were recent headlines. So the first is that Orbán. Was planning to visit kiev it was just kind of announced the ministry of foreign affairs there announced that he was uh, preparing a visit but interestingly there is no official invitation yet from kiev and daniel and i kind of discussed oh no i think there was was there yeah i
0: think there, there there was so let's see if that visit actually takes place okay yeah
2: because daniel was essentially saying that he doesn't really believe that the visit will take place. And this goes well beyond just what has been happening over the last year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so the background there is actually really, uh, really interesting and intriguing. And it sort of gives to light a bit more of the context of what's happening, um, because I think a lot of us are focusing on almost this new world after one year of the Russian invasion. But there are so many aspects of things that were happening beforehand that, uh, it's just a moving train, right? And that's what we're seeing.
0: So did you discuss also the the massive uh, purge in the Hungarian army?
2: We did. We, we did. We talked about the firing of the Hungarian uh, NATO officers, essentially. Yeah, a couple um, of
0: hundreds went uh, or are gone or yeah. are, are going to be gone because yeah. of the new scheme.
2: Exactly. And that, this was interesting because I also asked questions related to, well, what the opposition were saying, that there is this purging, there's this denatifying. And Daniel kind of put it in a a better perspective that, once again, these are sort of developments um, that that go back to the first time that Orban actually came into power when he was uh, reversing a law which at that time allowed for people um, at 45 to retire, right? Um, So it it was really interesting because it was this development here of it was a reversal of uh, what we think what's happening but actually it's something entirely new but then of course we're talking about Orbán, so you have to put into the back of your mind that there could be some sort of political motive there
0: a political or a business motive that uh, we also hear about the new um, industry being installed uh, basically german uh, ammo producing factories are going to be operating from hungary there is uh, there is also um, <laughs> Um, an interesting, you know, dubious role of a businessman with uh, right. lots of ties who became the Minister of Defense that basically uh, indicates, as we know in Orban regime is more obvious than in others, um, that there are, there are some business interests. There is someone to profit uh, from whatever political decisions. Right. And, and that, is, that
2: is very likely. Um, but certainly the state, we also talked about the state of Hungarian defense, and that it is a in a sort of dire need of actually um, not only modernizing, but having um, younger individuals in and not. I mean, essentially, Daniel was saying things along the lines of the majority of soldiers are those who are basically behind desks and are generals or Right, our higher ups in this case. So. With,
0: with the type of uh, political narratives that is Hungary, I don't think necessarily is a bad solution. And, right. um, having a military potent army with the type of narrative which is uh, oftentimes chauvinistic, nationalistic, and teasing with territorial revisionism. I, I think that, would, <laughs> that that's actually not so bad. Exactly. But overall, should should Hungary be a a, a modern a modern democracy? Once it, it definitely does need. Um, an army that provides security, also the human dimensional security, and and has the the necessary toolbox to to deliver, and also not to allow some crazy drones with bombs flying over its territory unnoticed, right. uh, which which happens uh, over over a year ago. But I think the the real interesting thing will be on on the foreign security um, page, the decision that the parliament. Uh, should be taking on the 1st of March, right. which is a long postponed and a many times postponed decision that is now announced to be taking place, uh, but at the same time, Orbán has been signaling that it might not because uh, he would expect, he gave an interview in, in, in a national radio uh, interview, he would expect that uh, Finnish and Swedish parliaments actually come for consultations mm-hmm. uh, with the Hungarian parliament, which, again, is so bizarre. Yeah. It's, it's a, as if he was saying, oh, I have nothing to do with it. It's the parliaments right. now. While we know that he suspended the powers of of the parliament to take decision, basically, it is his one-man one show based on the... Um, state of exception, state of emergency that is in Hungary. So whatever he wants with the majority he is in control uh, happens and many things happen outside of the parliament. So the parliament is a cushion, it's a dressing uh, for uh, it's a window dressing for what he actually intends and probably he's still playing with the idea of what he could get uh, uh, from not just uh, Finland or Sweden uh, but from other NATO countries and specifically maybe even Central European countries should he actually decide to uh, to approve uh, ratify the the accession and enlargement of NATO by, by these two, and I think he's perfectly aware uh, that he's he has chips and he's got chips also uh, insulated or secured by by Turkey and uh, Mr Erdogan mm-hmm. who who hasn't made uh, his mind uh, uh, he hasn't made up his mind yet. Uh, he he has some claims, although that might be changing. Right. Uh, the, even though tur- Turkish and Ankara's diplomacy is denying that uh, there is any uh, any tie between F sixteen approval by U S., which is expected now after Blinken's visit to to Ankara, um, and uh, the uh, the condition of agreeing to Finland and Sweden within NATO, there is on the American side. Quite a clear intention to put it in the wording and a legal document that the approval for selling additional F 16s that Turkey so much hopes to get will be conditional on uh, on 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 accepting these two right. countries. And usually, what we have in Hungarian cases that they are never the last to uh, to, to to change the blocking uh, position in in any type of leg- legislation. Hardly hardly so. They are they would be too exposed. So they're. They're doing awfully bad uh, uh, narrative, political narrative. Awfully a lot of damage in terms of disunifying the, uh, the the position, which should be obvious, frankly speaking. But okay, that's that's their right to play with all the cards they have and to um, also to hoping. maximize to maximize their um, their political gains, yeah. which obviously present to themselves. Exactly, they, it's a very cynical uh, position. But, um, well, what can we do about
2: it? But it's also this element, and Daniel and I touched on it, that this is also a response to um, to uh, the Finnish government and, and um, different Finnish actors going against Orbán because of the rule of law mm. and so forth. So Daniel was mentioning that this also could be like a sort of um, token that could be used to help in the EU recovery funds.
0: Oh, I, I don't believe that will be a buy in because it's, it's much complex and more, much more complicated. But definitely, the intention or kind of any attempt by Hungary to get the EU money is, is um, and oh, I, I don't want to say um, the word, um, well, it is understandably on edge when mm-hmm. it comes to that. And they will use any means and any uh, way they could possibly influence the situation even if that backfires. Right. And I believe that strategy in this case could, could only backfire if they want to tie security and rule of law and their money for corrupt uh, practices in, right. in Hungary. That, that, that will just not fly. But that's interesting. That's, that's, that's definitely interesting how, how, this, uh, how Orban is trying to use any moment in any uh, particular case to, to his advantage. And in the past, oftentimes it worked. Uh, because let's say people didn't care, or he had very weak and stupid partners. Look at Warsaw, and um, now now it's now it's might be that he's losing the cards he used to have. He's no longer part of Central Europe, and Poland and Slovakia, not to mention Czechia, uh, will be totally upset if on the first of March the parliament of Hungary, despite what he promised to Visegrad group leaders, will again postpone. Mm-hmm. I don't believe he will say no, but he will say, mm, we can't decide yet. Well, that will be a new law for the Visegrad group. Mm-hmm. OK, let's listen to the interview.
2: It's my pleasure to introduce Daniel Bartha. Daniel is the president and director of the Budapest-based nonprofit and nonpartisan think tank Center for Euro-Atlantic Integration and Democracy since 2014. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you very much for the invitation. So basically, Hungary is in the news again. Um, this time in a sort of a different way, and I think what I sort of wanted to talk about today was was more of a general sense of not just the foreign affairs aspect, but just the state of. Hungarian defense, right? From uh, from the standpoint of where are we? What's happening? Because there have been a lot of recent headlines. I think the first thing that I wanted our listeners to um, to highlight is that recently we we saw that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Hungary they've said that they're preparing for the visit of uh, Viktor Orbán to Kiev. Um, but I also heard that they haven't necessarily received an, an official invitation, so I'm not really sure exactly what what's going on there. But if you can lay it out, I'm I'm also interested in why you know why now, what what exactly is happening, what what is Orban basically playing at here?
1: Well, actually, I think I'm I'm not 100 percent confident if if it's going to happen. Uh, that's that's very important. Um, the reason it has not happened yet. Uh, for many years now, is that uh, both sides were not ready to meet. So it was not only the Hungarians, but the Ukrainians uh, didn't really want to meet. And now, basically, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky uh, raised this at the, at, the, at the meeting of the uh, EU uh, prime ministers in Brussels. So there had to be a reaction. To the press, so the press the press asked when exactly, and and the response was we don't know yet. We are preparing; it's in the discussion. So the problem with that, and I think that is why both sides, including the Ukrainian side, is not really urging this meeting. That there is basically no real chance for uh, for for a result to communicate, and there is this general rule that you are not going to. For a high-level visit, when you know it's going to be a failure, uh, because because if they meet, there should be a uh, there should be a productive meeting uh, with results. And uh, I remember, and uh, that's the full story, that for many years uh, before the war, uh, actually many one and a half years following following the the uh, presidential elections in Ukraine, uh, Orban did want to go, mm-hmm. and it was Zelensky turning him down over and over so that's mainly, that mainly because they didn't necessarily have something on the agenda that would be a fruitful meeting or what was the there, idea there? there was a very important thing on the agenda and that's the bilateral issues and the language though and the hungarian government was hoping that with the new incoming president there is a chance to discuss these issues but there was no openness at all uh and uh and then come the war, and uh, and uh, everybody expected that the Hungarian side were not going to push that that much, but uh, that became very sensitive to Orban internally, uh, for internal reasons, for his own water base. Sure. And uh, to be honest, it was very hard uh, for him, or 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 yeah, indeed it was hard for him to have a um, change the change the tone uh, to to a soft one uh, following uh, following years of. Uh, of uh, this conflict on on the on the minority questions. Right. Okay, that's a that's a great transition because another another headline that
2: we've had speaking of voting and being closer to um the the people, right? Um the parliament has actually said that it's going to vote between 6th and 9th of March on on the ratification of the accession of, of Finland and Sweden to NATO. And I know that among the the 30 NATO allies only Hungary and, and Turkey are basically the ones missing that have expressed themselves uh, on on the accession process. So what do you think is going to, what do you think is going to happen here? Where are sort of the political divided, divided lines there? Um, do you expect this to be a seamless sort of vote or what do you think? What are you hearing?
1: Not any longer. So for many, many months it was a promise that it would just, uh, it's going to be no problem that was the promise of the government uh and but uh, they cannot really influence the parliament and now it sounds it sounds interesting but there is a logic behind so Sweden and Finland among the those voices, the loudest voices, criticizing Hungary because of the lack of of uh, separation of powers, uh, mm-hmm. and having directly influencing the influence of, of Prime Minister Orban in the parliament uh, and the parliament votings, um, uh, with its uh, two-third majority not having any debates, not having any proper legislation. And it's sort of a sort of an answer to them, uh, suggesting that, look, uh, he he already said, they already communicated, look, we cannot do much because the parliament is setting up its agenda and we have no influence, sorry. Uh, We cannot influence this uh, decision-making. And once again, um, now that they promised that it's going to be a smooth ride in in the spring uh, seating of the Hungarian parliament, um, there was a meeting of the Fidesz and KDMP fraction uh, before the spring uh, sessions. And... um, they basically announced that there is a disagreement among the members regarding uh, the green light uh, to the accession of uh, Finland and Sweden, despite uh, the prime minister requested to have a, a smooth uh, a- a approval. Uh, once again, once again, proving that there is a proper uh, decision-making process uh, within uh, the coalition. And uh, they said they are requesting a fact-finding mission to to trying to settle the differences between uh, the uh, between the countries, um, and the uh, mission should be sent by the parliament to solve the disputes. I think it's also part to, to trying to prolong this whole process is that to trying to blackmail uh, Finland and Sweden regarding the the. Uh, rule of law uh, procedures and the super conditions uh, related to to that procedure uh, that Hungary has to meet by the end of March in order to receive uh, uh, and unlock uh, the the EU funds uh, for the country. Um, So I think... uh, partially it was the reason why they had not approved it uh, there was this crucial voting on the on the funds uh, right after uh, and if they would have approved there wouldn't have any chips uh, to blackmail uh, uh sweden and finland and and right now i think uh, this is the reason why they would like to prolong the process to to make sure uh, that they receive something in exchange uh, I strongly disagree with policy this policy especially when it comes to defense during the war mm-hmm. but this is the only logic that can be behind uh this uh this uh delay.
2: Yeah, but it's it's also interesting the political theater behind it all, right? That okay, you're going to go against us in terms of rule of law and so forth, but well, I'm I'm very sorry at this point uh there are certain uh, processes that need Orban says there's certain processes, the democratic processes that need to be followed, and thereby we can't really do much,
1: right? Finland and Sweden, so uh, this is how it works, kind of thing, right? So, to be honest, it would be very hard to criticize if it would be a proper process, mm-hmm. because if the parliament demands a detailed debate on the issue, uh, then uh, then they have the right to do that. They right. have the right to run this process. Uh, as it is now, they have the right to respect the agenda of the parliament and uh, postpone certain decision making. So it shouldn't fast track any 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 incoming request on decision making uh, because they have the 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 agenda. Obviously, if I mean, in any other case, this is this is not how it works uh, in the Hungarian parliament. So it's definitely uh, it's uh, it's just. Uh, Playing with that country is trying to pressuring them, and, so, uh, and not not a not a honest approach at all. Right,
2: it's the picking and choosing of when democratic procedures actually help uh, your political battles, and when they don't, sort of uh, bypassing it a bit. Um, great. So, yeah, the other major news item that was coming out of Hungary, and it's connected to defense, and we'll focus more on defense now, is the firing of the of the NATO officers. So. There was news about this, and, and if our listeners don't know, it was this dismissal of hundreds of of high ranking officers, some of them only recently promoted, and and it sort of began circulating in the Hungarian press, and then there wasn't really any official comment from the government, and it took about a week or so for the defense minister to to actually discuss this, and I guess we're I'm trying to understand the rationale because the rationale behind this was that it will it will help meritocracy and competition in the army right so um and let's be honest we do uh, we understand that there are aspects of the hungarian defense system that need to be reformed um but this is sort of targeting you know those officers who have served at least 25 years and are at least 45 years old um, but then getting two months notice of their leave after having served so long um it's 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 baffling to say the least. So so what's happening here? Because some of the opposition say, oh, it's a political purge. It's denatifying um, the Hungarian military. Others are disagreeing, saying it's a way to actually revitalize the military. What what, what do you think about this developing story?
1: Well, obviously, the, the, as usual, the answer is not as simple, and probably in between. Mm-hmm um uh, and uh and uh I think the approach itself is logical and makes sense, and it's necessary uh to to actually renew uh the uh Hungarian army on the highest officer level. The reason is that when uh Prime Minister Orban came into power in two thousand ten he introduced a law for um all these state uh forces uh, including I mean including the armed forces including the police the, the, the firefighters uh, they had this early retirement uh, shame they could go uh, and uh, retired around the age of uh, 45 uh, already and they said this is nonsense we're already facing with the lack of workforce uh, in these sectors these are young uh, people uh, with, the, with the relevant experience it makes really nonsense to send uh, to retire them. Uh, therefore, almost, they, 20, almost 20 years, uh, what the regular retirement age would be. Yeah, right? below, below, below 20 years of the regular retire age, and raised it to the regular retire age, mm-hmm. which, uh, which is, which is probably oh, okay. the wrong uh, response. So from one extreme, we went to another extreme, but the uh, the promotion system was not really touched. Which led to a situation that the number of the armed forces in the Hungarian armed forces is it's constantly went down in the last 25 years. And we led to a situation when basically the number of officers was extremely high, especially the top officers, uh, while the, by those uh, serving in lower ranks were is extremely low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously it not only gives, uh, pressure, uh, professional pressure on the, on, the, on the army, but also financial pressure on the army, because these generals and, uh, earn uh, really well. Uh, so from a professional perspective, and also in order to provide room for the younger generation for promotion, because it's no longer possible to promote your lang- ranks, you have, to, you have to send some of these people into retirement. Uh, and uh, and uh, find the balance between the 45 and the 65. Uh, and right now, this legislation says that people above 45 uh, with certain conditions and after a certain amount of years served in the army can be sent to this special retirement where they basically, until the retirement age, earn 70% of their previous income and provides them enough Opportunity and strong financial background to transition themselves for the civic life. Uh, When you hear that, it sounds purely purely professional, and uh, and that makes sense. And when you see the names, those names that we learned, because it's obviously not public, uh, because of the sensitive data and also because of the secrecy in the armed forces. But what we know, there are the top officers really much. Uh, pro- uh, promoted m- most of them during the last 12 years, serving in the top position in the last first 12 years. So it cannot be purely political because these people succeeded and and really went forward to key positions under uh, Prime Minister Orbán. Um, and um, uh, but, but as always, when we are talking about 150 people, there are people who... Are possibly uh, victims of this process, who are possibly chosen because of some uh, political uh, decision. But overall, it doesn't seem like uh, uh, a political, uh, purely political uh, step. And uh, and also, uh, and that's why I I cannot do anything but disagree with with the opposition. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. These are the generation which were basically educated before the NATO accession, and now those who are replacing them are those educated in NATO schools, in NATO courses, in NATO trainings, served in different uh, served in combat actions in, under uh, in NATO missions. So, how would it be possible uh, <laughs> to denazify with? people who are actually, uh, much closer to the NATO than, than, than anybody else. So, so I think, um, simply from, from the logical perspective, it doesn't make sense. And obviously, uh, we are talking about a large number of, of people and large number of promotion and replacement. Um, the minister doesn't really have a political base within the army. And, 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 and as we see who are promoted are, are not political appointees, um, There is another aspect as well, and and a further aspect, and I I promise this is the last one, Uh, and that regards the approach of the ministers. The previous minister was a soldier, which meant in the ministry, in the top positions from uh, basically the head of department to... upwards. It was only or increasingly people in uniform serving, mm-hmm. which is not the usual in the NATO countries. And that was very, very convenient because you could place the generals, the large number of generals I was talking about, into the proper positions. But then come a civilian minister who said that, the first of all, it should be a civilian oversight within the ministry, as in most NATO members. And basically, he removed these people from their positions. And now we had Dozens of high-ranking officials with no proper placement. So mm-hmm. there was this increasing pressure, and I believe that was partly the reason why they started this process.
2: Well, I know that the 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 actual recruitment numbers for just those entering into the military in Hungary now are extremely low, right? So this is something, hopefully, that revitalizes it in, in some way. And I'm really happy that you uh, kind of, give a larger idea here of of what's happening and not just the the political rhetoric behind it all. Because it does seem, from the things you're saying, it does seem like this actually could be somewhat beneficial in in getting more actual troops on the ground as opposed to just uh, those who who are serving more high up positions.
1: You have to see there is no no political interest uh, to remove those people. Where there is a political interest, and that's usually the case in uh, in most of these countries, is the procurement, and uh, and uh, that is not re- this this these steps are not not related at all. However, there is a small small uh, relation to the procurement processes as well. Hungary is renewing its army; it's creating uh, basically it has now huge arm deliveries uh, incoming new helicopters we are setting up new uh new uh, basically a system we reorganizing uh down to um the group level the whole army to fit and meet uh, the requirements of this new uh technical equipment mm-hmm. which means there is a new structure in the whole army and and uh and uh, because of this large amount of incoming weapons and new structures and new capabilities, first of all, you have to train the people, also the officers, but also as you have to create new units, you have to reorganize the units. This is the time when you touch the leadership.
2: Right.
1: So, so all, uh, here, there is no real political logic. There is a political logic in the procurement process that's something that should be criticized, that can there should be a debate, more debate. But this is the consequence of the modernization uh, right. and very logical consequence of the modernization that you touch, actually, uh, when you touch the units and the structures and then you, you also touch the leadership. It's interesting. it's interesting that you say that. This will be the last thing. Um, but spending
2: has risen since 2018 in Hungarian defense. That's, that's for sure. But interestingly... And what you're saying here, is it true that like German, US, Israeli suppliers were kind of the main beneficiaries of, of of this spending? So what I've heard is is that we there are these new German factories that are producing ammo for the German market, right? So of course this will sort of be exported in this sense. But you're also saying that they that we see this modernization process, right? Um so I, I, I guess my question is more of this um are we on the right track here and what do we what are we going to see in terms of uh this modernization moving forward
1: so the the overall goal uh, with the modernization modernization is 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 multiple as well uh for for prime minister Alban, who recognized there is a need of uh, of of that and also recognize there will be armed conflicts so uh, so there is a need to to invest in the sector. He also sees defense sector as a business opportunity and he's seen that before the war. Uh, in this sense, all major decisions or most major decisions were taken before the war and proved to be right. To be honest, um, his idea of modernization is that uh, we primarily would like to buy equipment uh, from from suppliers who are ready to set up factories in Hungary. Obviously, there is no offset policy, but it's very much look like an offset policy uh, here. Uh, And he believes, and that was the goal, that uh, Hungary needs a strong defense industry because it has none. And in the age of conflicts that those countries having a defense industry can use this also for for its geopolitical goals. so he started way before uh, this process of the, of the Ukrainian war, uh, and mostly he could make those agreements because, well, they work differently uh, with German uh, companies, uh, primarily with Rheinmetall. Rheinmetall is the single biggest player on the Hungarian market. So in most cases, when we procured major defense system, it, the agreement was setting up at least uh, the assembly lines. Uh, in Hungary, but the overall goal is is much bigger. The the overall goal is uh, is having a big uh, robust defense industry. There we are getting closer to that, uh, adding uh, R and D uh, and and uh, and a lot of added value here in Hungary. And I think those investments are really focusing on state of the art equipment. Um, Therefore, Hungary procured, uh, in large extent, uh, basically everything. It was a good opportunity because because the Hungarian army was in bits and pieces. We have almost nothing that operated at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, so they could procure everything uh, from, from bullets to supersonics. And uh, and uh, and that's led to well, it's going to lead to a, a robust defense industry that's both serving Hungarian needs uh, because we are buying from those factories in large extent, but hopefully they will be able to export. Obviously. It differs to the factory, but we can see it, uh, that, that uh, the ammunition factory, for example, uh, will be much needed uh, in, uh, within the NATO, and that will be a very important, uh, basically, development uh, for, uh, for NATO purposes as well.
2: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Daniel, for joining us. This is certainly a developing story that we'll continue to cover. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much for the invitation.